Davinka Britson is going to do in the 1500. He has time to look behind him. 20 years of age, and he is on top of the world. For coming down for a maiden national crown, Cornwall is a champion. Belarus is what is worse, or has he? Has he got anything left? Belarus trying to get there. Kipchoge the junior is there. Belarus is trying to get to the line. Kenya wins it. Kipchoge takes. Vivian Chariot's turn, and what a proud moment for her and the Kenyans. The first woman from her nation to take the 5,000 meter title. Vivian Chariot in Greenland. On the outside, Ollie Hall of Australia comes. Jake Whiteman has just spent. It's going to be Chariot and Hall. Who's going to get it? It's going to be Australia. The gold. Riley McGowan has come from the clouds over the last few years and now holds a place within Australia's top half a dozen 800 metre runners. With a PB of 146.08, Riley, together with a bunch of other hungry Australians, are knocking on the door of true world-class status. We caught up with Riley right after his first world champs in Budapest as he settles down for some base training before the Australian summer season kicks off. Before I get into it though, a quick word from the sponsor of this episode, ASICS. Nothing feels better than the GT2012 shoe. Stable, cushioned, smooth. Shop now at ASICS.com or look for the link in the show notes. I'm here with Riley. It's awesome to catch up with you. Whereabouts are you at the moment? Thanks, mate. Super stoked to get on and have a yarn. Uh, back in Canberra, um, which is home for me. Been back from Europe for about... Uh, a week and a half, coming up to two weeks now. So slowly settling back into the real world. You had a, we'll, we'll get to world champs in a sec, but I was looking at, um, you raced a fair bit in Europe, hey, like first in the Czech Republic on the 13th of June. Uh, and then I, th- I think I was counting 15 or 16 races this year so far since since you opened up in um, at Box Hill on the 24th of Jan. Uh, decent Decent number of races, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, When we were planning for what 2023 was going to look like, we didn't have the luxury of saying we're definitely going to be in Budapest. So um, we kind of had to run the domestic season like it was no different to any other. Um, Luckily, one thing sort of led to the next and we could justify a trip overseas. And um, then things, you know, luckily continued to fall my way and um, we're able to stay right through to August. So certainly longer than we originally planned, but you know, at the outset, we we didn't have the luxury of targeting Budapest because, you know, realistically, we didn't feel like we were at that level in you know November, December last year when we were planning out the season. Right. And so I see here, like, obviously, you're pretty consistent. Like the slowest was a 150.34, but that was in a heat, so we can't really count that. Um, a lot of 147s, a lot of a few 148s, a 146, obviously, your PB 146.08, I think it is. Um Another 146.29 in Austria. So a lot of consistency there. I guess the number of races and the consist the consistent nature of the times is what led you to the start line in Budapest, right? I think so, yeah. Um, I think I had so six of those outside of world, six of those races were over in Europe and it was the first time for me. So that came with its own learnings. Um, racing on six-lane tracks against 11 other people, just things we don't get to experience here in Australia. Um, 
yeah, th- there were certainly some good opportunities that I feel like I missed over in over in Europe with some of those races. Um, you know, opportunities that presented themselves, everything lined up, felt really good, had some friends there and just didn't didn't race the way I wanted to. So it would have been nice to have a couple quicker ones on the board there that you're reading out. But um yeah, I, I like to think that generally I'm I'm gonna have an all right day and and hopefully we're gonna have a good day on on more times than not. Nice. In Europe, just out of interest, like what did you just go over by yourself? Did you go over with teammates? What how did that all work out? Yeah, so about halfway through this domestic season, I started chatting to Whippy, Sean Whip. Um, and you know, with the idea of of let's try and get over to Europe and see what can happen. And fortunately, uh, he looks after a couple other, you know, guys both here and in New Zealand. And so he kind of paired me up with James Preston, um, Kiwi eight hundred meter runner. Um, and sort of thought we'd be a good pair for the um, European campaign. So he got us in touch and we ended up um, just planning a trip together. So I lived with him in, in Leuven in Belgium for two months um, of the three months that I was away. And it was actually really nice because both Preston and I um, ended up at team camp in Montpellier, obviously him for New Zealand, myself for Australia, and um, then at the same hotel in Budapest as well. So, um, yeah, we we spent quite a bit of time together over the last three months. Nice, man. And I take it like, um, you know, it's not, I don't think there's any secrets that like a couple of months in Europe's pretty expensive ordeal. So like, obviously you've, you've had a pretty expensive year, I take it. Yeah, certainly. Um, fully, fully self-funded. And, you know, this is the year we are trying to jump that gap from, from just being a bloke who runs on the domestic circuit to, to getting overseas. So, so um, certainly felt the sting of three months abroad. Um, I was fortunate enough to be on um, leave with a bit of pay for some of it and ticked over to leave without pay towards the end. But that leave without pay kind of lined up with when we went into team camp and uh, into Budapest. So expenditures went down. Uh, but yeah, certainly um, an expensive campaign for myself. What do you do for work? Uh, like a good Canberran mate, working the public service, um, <laughs> working for the government. So, um, yeah, just in a in a small agency under the Department of Health. Nice. Let's get to World Champs. Obviously, you know the the heat the heats are brutal. The eight eight hundred meter heats at World Champs Olympics. I mean, they're just they're absolutely brutal, aren't they? And and you, you obviously probably already knew that, but then you found out you got to live it, which not many of us do. And how how was it? You know, obviously, I, I know you posted on Instagram that it was something special and. You take took a lot from yeah. it. You know, what do you what do you have to say kind of, you know, from that experience, what you've learned? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, so much. Um being fortunate to represent your country is, is one of the highest honors, you know, ever. And fortunate to have experienced something that's a you know, small percentage of people will will ever get to do. So you know, I'm I'm very proud of, of myself and the team for being able to say that we got to that level. Um like all you know major events there were some highs and some lows um obviously on my race itself um you're not progressing out of the heats and sort of the performance on the day fell a little bit short of the expectation that I had set for myself and you know falling short of your expectations on any day is is a little bit uh a little bit hard to digest but doing that with the country across the chest just hurts a little bit more so was certainly um, sort of felt all the all the highs and lows um, around that, but reflecting on the experience as a whole, certainly uh, an overall overwhelming positive. Um, you know, it was my first time on the big stage, 
Um, first time experience in pre-departure camp. Um, it's the first time I've ever had two call rooms to go to with a golf buggy trip in between. Um, you know, I had the defending world champ, Olympic medalist, Commonwealth Games medalist in my heat. Um, and just seeing how those guys go about their prep and and how they sort of get in the mindset to race is all learning, you know, going through the motions and seeing some of the best guys that Australia has to offer as well, how they go about their days in the team hotel in the days leading up to their races. There's just so much, so much there. Um, I tried to be good and got a fair bit of journaling done sort of while I was over there trying to write something at least every day or every couple of days. So you know, once sort of the dust settles on this season, I've got a good bank of stuff to be able to go back and reflect and read and learn and apply moving forward. Nice. Did you get to, you know, do any training with Bowl and Deng or or not so much? Uh, those guys got into the hotel uh, a little bit later. Um, they were they were both kind of doing their own prep elsewhere. Um, so unfortunately, we didn't see them in Montpellier, uh, but certainly absorbed as much as I could once they got into Budapest. And um, JR, their coach, was in Montpellier, and I, I can't thank him enough for the support that he provided me during that time. You know, Des, my coach, wasn't able to travel, um, and JR is is just mad about athletics, mate. He was, I reckon, on that track from sun up till sundown on the bike with a stopwatch in his hand, just bouncing between uh, people's workouts and helping them. So it's so good to see people like him in the sport that just love the sport and care about the sport and are just willing to help people yeah so selflessly all day every day in an environment like that awesome mate yeah um, let's talk about your coach des uh you know let's a lot of people probably uh haven't heard much about des so tell me a little bit about him uh and your history personally as well with him yeah yeah for sure so yeah i mean we're we're in canberra act sometimes we feel a little bit out of the loop um you know in the in the grand scheme of athletics here in cold old canberra but Canberra itself is a beautiful place to train and, um, yeah, lucky enough to be the place where Desi's based as well. So, um, look, I came into the sport pretty late. Um, I picked it up competitively at 21. Um, and so I had reached out to um, Jared Ryan, who is another um, you know, probably familiar name for ACT runners and, and Australian runners because um, I'd done a tiny little bit of work with him through high school, um, you know, competing on, on – on um, cross teams through high school just as a bit of a side hobby and he got me in touch with Des um, but funnily enough I'm not sure if Des actually knows this story but um, the idea of me joining up with him was to get a little bit of sort of pre-season fitness in before probably going to play foot, footy AFL here in Canberra because I'd come from a background of, of no sport at all um, but it just happened to be the summer and so there was no AFL being played. So I thought I'll go join a running group and get a little bit of pre-season in and then when it come, becomes winter, I'll go and play some footy. But just ran track that summer, um, really good training group, really clicked with Des and I just never left. And um, things have worked out pretty well since then. But um, look, like most people in, in athletics in Australia, he, he works full time, um, coaching is a bit of passion projects, um, but that hasn't stopped Des and, and our team sort of achieve great things. Obviously, Leanne Pompiani, uh, product of Des Proctor as well. Um, we've just had Zoe Buckman um, jump over to our group as well. So, um, yeah, the, we're definitely not short of, of inspirational people to look around um, with our group here in Canberra, but um, at the same time, you know, Des is is heavily still a recreational coach in the sense that we'll have, you know, 30, 40 high school kids and, and professionals and everybody in between 
coming out to train at Stromlo, um, you know, on any given Thursday. So, mate, Canberra definitely doesn't have a lack of quality groups, hey. No, there's no shortage of talent at the moment. Um, and when you think of, I guess, distance running in Canberra, that the big three are probably, you know, Des. Um, you got Dick Telford's group and of course Philo Saunders group. So there's there's no shortage of uh of talented runners to mix it up with here. Just seems like if you're if you're a kid, 18 and you're trying to figure out where to live, I mean, it just seems like such an easy place to live compared to say a Sydney, you know, um, to get to train in and stuff, right? But anyway, diverging there, the I found this funny thread on Let's Run, just doing a little bit of um, pre-podcast listening and um, research. And the, fir- the first post says, apparently Riley, they, they, they want to know about your background. Apparently Riley ran only 149, 149 last season and took up running at 21. He used to be a classy soccer player. Is this true? What has been his running background since he started? And then the next comment was, to be fair, he only had to beat Charlie Hunter. I mean, <laughs> thought that was a bit harsh, but... It was a, um, you know, no, there's not much info about you out there. Um, did you run at all at high school or not so much? Yeah, so I was a soccer player through high school. I played that up until year 10, which is, you know, what, 16 or 17 years old. Um, coming from the ACT, um, you know, national cross-country teams are a little bit easier or state cross-country teams to go to nationals are, are a little bit easier to get on because of our small pool of athletes. So, um, I did national cross in year seven, eight, nine, and 10, um, just as kind of a, a little, you know, couple of days off school. Um, soccer was the main focus for sure. Um, so I had a little bit of exposure to running, but it was always secondary to soccer. And I thought that I was uh, an okay runner because of how much soccer I was playing. Um, but now, you know, being able to look and reflect, I was probably an okay soccer player because of of the running sort of talent or, or engine that I had. Um, but yeah, certainly hadn't tapped into it until I, I picked up the sport properly, you know, a couple of years later. Um, but yeah, so, so soccer as a junior and then spent about three or four years away from competitive sport until I fell into running um, back in 2017, I think was my first summer working with Des. Right. But I take it you're a gun runner, like compared to a, pretty much all the other soccer players, right? Well, I was a winger. I, I don't think I was actually that talented at soccer, but my coach could put me out on the wing and I could just run all day. So I, I was able to compete at, at a reasonably high level, uh, but certainly wasn't um, it wasn't very you know, tactically or technically sound. Um, but I, I had a bit of speed and could just run on the park all day. Gotcha. I presume over the last four years then you haven't raced heaps like at other events right like there's no 1500 pb down here for you on world athletics uh have you ever run a 1500 other vented than- one yeah um, sorry i've paced a local 1500 did a shocking job um and i look in that in that sort of five or six years between kicking off athletics and getting here i probably spent a year and a half thinking i was a 400 meter runner um, so I joined a sprint group and and focused on that for a year and a half. Um, I didn't run anything too impressive. I, I think I got down to 48.3, um, which is certainly nothing special. Um, and my body just hated it. Um, I, I got injured quite a bit, a lot of load-related injuries. Um, and I found that holding on to my fitness you know, through cross-training, which I had to do when I was injured, it was just a bit easier to be sort of a mid-distance guy it's a lot easier to, to you know, cross train aerobically than it is to cross train and try and keep your fitness for 
um, basically a sprint event. Um, cool. So, look, I'd certainly love to run a 1500 or a mile just to get a time on the board and see what I could do. Um, but, yeah, you, you kind of got to pick your opportunities uh, in now and, and certainly don't want to be sacrificing an opportunity to run a good 800 um, just to, to try 15, but definitely open to trying. The progression has been very uh, steady, right? Like in the COVID year 220, you ran a, a six times and it was pretty much 157, 157, then 153s and a 154. 2021, you ran, raced a bit more. You dropped the PB 149 that year. All of the other runs were around 152. And then 222, you were still around the 149, didn't really kick on that year. And then your few 153s, 151, 150, and then 2023, boom, you, you take three seconds off and have a bit of a breakthrough year. So it's just like, it's kind of like your body just needed three years of hammering out those those races and kind of making small progress. And then it allowed you to, to take a big step forward. Is that accurate? I think so. You know, every year you expect to get a little bit better. And it was certainly an adjustment getting into the sport and, and learning how to train at a high level. Um, I think I got a bit robbed last year. I, I finished the season pretty disappointed to have only dropped my PB by a half a second or something. I think I went from a 149 high to a 149 low uh, in 2022. And um, I, I thought that I was probably in a better shape than than what I eventually ran. And I'm sure everybody says that, that their PB might not justify um, the shape that they were in, but um I don't. I didn't race any track classics that year. I, I scraped in, and I think I ran my PB in the B race at the Sydney Track Classic. So I, I just didn't have the opportunity to really spin the wheels. And I'm not the type of runner that can get at the front and just crank it from the gun. Um, I'm, I, I tend to sit in a little bit more and try and finish really strong. So um, we maybe made some errors that year with with picking races as well. Um, I was sort of traveling around and yeah, you know, front front running negative split in 149s um like it was it was no issue but just could not get that breakthrough so um certainly felt like i had something to prove the following year you know which has been this year just past not being able to yeah lower the pb too well last year yeah um i think it's worked out well what's um how does des train you is he you know 800 meter training obviously it's um you know, it's very, it's an interesting, interesting area, right? Like I think most 1500 and 5,000 meter runners train pretty similar, but there's a lot of variation, 800 training guys like Luke Matthews who, you know, do massive volume. And then, you know, the, the other end of the spectrum, just pure speed guys, where do you sit? How does Des train you? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, annoyingly, I'm, I'm probably somewhere right in the middle. So I'm certainly not a speed based guy. You know, we, we still try and get in, I don't know, 70 K a week what have you for most of the year um so I'm, I'm certainly not a not a pure speed based guy but i'm also not the guy that can tolerate 100 110 k's per week so i kind of do sit in the middle um we we're pretty standard training split um tuesday thursday saturday workouts long run on a sunday and so a bit of easy jogging and maybe some additional cross training in between um, when the summer rolls around, shorten up the long run and add in a bit of speed work on a Monday. Um, I think there's a, a big chunk of us kind of doing the same thing now. I don't think there's any real secrets um, about sort of what we're doing. And there's certainly, I don't feel that we're doing anything different or anything special. Um, we just we just turn up, we train smart uh, and just try and stay on the park, I think is the biggest difference. It's like every sport 
you just need to practice it. You just need to get better at it. And it's pretty hard to do that when you're on the sidelines with an injury. So um, Des, I would say, is probably on the more conservative end uh, of the coaching uh, sort of scale. Um, we don't absolutely rip it three days a week, every week for 52 weeks of the year. Um, we pick and choose our days when we're going to go hard. But the the overarching principle is just keep turning up, get the work done, tick it over, um, and, and good things will come from that consistency. Right. So um, so you're doing track work on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, like in the middle of winter when you're building your base, are you still Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursdays on the track or are they elsewhere? No, so really only one day a week on the track, particularly over the winter. That that might increase over the summer or when we're racing and, and getting ready to race. Uh, but over the winter, try and get off the track. Um, this is actually the first year um, that Des and myself have trained past nationals. So um, because you know, we've not had to do a European season or a world major before. So um, that was all uncharted territories. You know, what happens after nationals? How do you get back in, in good shape then with the time that you have? Um, so that was a bit of a learning curve, how we navigate being on the track or giving the body a rest and off the track. But uh, no, we do a lot of over the winter base work is you know, some long progressive runs, long healy runs, plenty of threshold work. But you know, we're super fortunate here in Canberra having Stromlo. It's it's got to be one of the best running facilities in Australia, if not if not the world. It's so good. And to have that as our kind of home court is just incredible. So we're on that a couple of times a week and um yeah, certainly trying to give the body a bit of a rest um over the winter off the off the track. How are you at the threshold work? I mean, what what kind of would be when you're fit in the middle of winter and blah, 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 what would be kind of your threshold pace for for a certain session? Yeah, look, it's never been a strength of mine. Um, so if I'm if I'm at reasonable fitness, I'm pretty happy to run sort of over the rolling you know, hills at Stromlo, sort of 315 pace is 315 to 320 for a slightly longer sort of threshold it's never been one of my strengths like I said but it is a good indication of when I start to get a bit of fitness because I tend to enjoy it more um when I'm coming off my break or you know over the next couple weeks I'm probably going to hate it um but I know that when I start to mentally enjoy threshold work is when I start to get a little bit fit or fitter because you can kind of find a groove and you can roll with it we got a really good uh group of guys to train with here in Canberra as well and and if we can all kind of match up our fitness um and get a nice train then those long threshold sessions kind of just click themselves off sydney track classic this year uh you came out and i think that was where you did your pb is that right yeah correct it was um i remember watching it and he's and you you know i think oh man i can't quite remember but coming into the home straight it was crowded and you were kind of boxed and then it opened up and you just squeezed through right um I just remember thinking, shit, man, that was pretty lucky that you got through. But it was a really, really good win. Is that, that's got to be up, you know, is that when you started realizing, hey, you know, I can, this is real, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I was in last position uh, coming around the last bends. So I definitely made it hard for myself. Um, but I just felt super comfortable that, that entire race and um, knew that I had some that that was going to be a special day like the warm-up just felt so right the strides felt good standing on the start line felt incredible um and I knew I was going to have a day 
Um, and that's, I think, the feeling is that we crave as runners is to try and replicate that as many times as we can because that's just, it's so hard to describe when you know you're going to have a day. So luckily, yeah, that one was for me and um, was in, I think, about last position or second last coming around the bend and um, just kind of got to work down the home straight and was lucky enough to be able to thread the needle. Um, I actually ran up the inside on the rail. I don't think they'll ever let me do that again. Um, but just had a, had a nice sort of, uh, yeah, thread the needle through there and, um, got through, uh, Charlie Hunter was pushing really, really hard. It probably looked like he was going to get the win, um, a little bit earlier on, um, of the home straight, but was, was able to come through nice and strong. And yeah, after that, I was kind of like, let's go. This is, this is the year, um, that we can make something special happen. So that, yeah, uh, filled me with a lot of confidence, um, was able to get a track classic win under my belt. There are elusive those days where you just feel like magic, right? And, you know, I hear funny stories of people when they have a day like that and they go back over kind of the three weeks leading into it and try and copy exactly what everything they did, you know, in the training and sleep and life and all that sort of stuff. If you have you look back over the, the weeks leading into that race, you know, um, and to see what you did with, say, for example, just your taper, you know, did you have a massive taper leading into that race or or not? Or did you hardly taper at all? Yeah, look a little bit. Um, it's right in the thick of racing. You know, I'd done Adelaide Track Classic. I'd done the Mori Plant Meet just before that. So we were kind of in the thick of it and just getting in a really nice groove of of racing, but still being able to keep our loads up. Um, I think Des did a really good job of programming between our races this domestic season, like a really good job. Um, you know, I spent all of January up at Perisher, um, and you come off the mountain generally a little bit busted up and he just did a great job at turning me around for Adelaide um, and then still a little bit busted up going into Melbourne. We nailed that build and that little sort of week or so taper and then um, coming off Mori Plant meet and going into Sydney, you know, he just nailed it again um, just in terms of giving me the right amount of work but not too much, um, coming fresh at the right time um yeah i just got to give all credit to him um with how we approach that we, we, i just could not think of anything that we did better um we still like to get a bit of work let's say we're racing on a saturday we still like to get a good bit of work done on the tuesday leading into it um and then thursday is kind of where we might take the foot off the gas a little bit and generally come good by saturday nice let's talk about perisher for a bit i know you know i know a bunch of 800 coaches that kind of don't really take their athletes to, to altitude. We were chatting to James James Templeton a month or so ago, and he was saying how much Pete, Pete Bowl loves going up to St. Moritz and, and spending time up there because it gets him super fit. And obviously he just said you love Parisher. So what what do you do? Like at Parisher, are you still doing your speed work because it's kind of pretty close to the season? You're obviously not going up there and just banging out mileage and thresholds and stuff, right? Like you, you're doing a little bit of speed and intensity, yep. Yeah, look, I think the best thing that you can do when you go to altitude is probably just keep doing what you've been doing. Like that, being up at altitude in and of itself is an extra stress on the body. And I think the biggest mistake people do is go to altitude and try and train the house down and do different things and more than what they've been doing. Um, so when I think of how my season is going to play out, you know, between now and and December or January, I'm just trying to get as fit as I possibly can so that when I get to Perisher, I can train hard there and, and reap the rewards. But yeah, yeah, we're certainly not going up there and making heaps of changes. We're just trying to keep the ball rolling, but we're up at altitude, getting a little bit of extra stress on the body there. Um, 
as as many people know, the track up at uh, Jindabyne there is not too crash hot. So um, we got to be we got to be a little bit careful about absolutely ripping it on on that track. Um, in fact, if I'm not feeling 100, percent I'll, I'll prefer to just stay up at Perisher and get a workout done on the trail there because it is pretty taxing on that track there. So yeah, it's just about being smart. I feel like I do get a lot of benefit from it, even as an, as an 800 guy, um, a lot a lot of benefit from heading up there. And it's also just about being away with your mates and being able to focus on running. It, it you know half of the benefit irrelevant of the altitude um you're away you're on a focused training camp you're eating well because you're there spending money to be there um i think you get a lot of benefit just out of that alone you can put your feet up during the day you can get to bed early you can do all the right things so of course you're going to make some uh improvements as an athlete in an environment like that Obviously, it's an Olympic year next year, which is um, based on what you just pulled off at the world, making the world champs team. It's pretty exciting for you. What are you gonna? Are you gonna head back to Paris? Or is it gonna be the same kind of model tra- training model that you've just kind of come off? And you're just gonna repeat that? Yeah, I think uh, I think we don't need to make too many changes. Um, we just uh, you know another year of of training and racing hopefully we'll, we'll continue to get a little bit better certainly look to go to parachute again um over the, the early summer um yeah you kind of hit the nail on the head things worked for us and this year just passed so why would we uh go ahead and make all these changes um certainly going to have to lift the bar a little bit over the next year they're taking a slightly smaller field size into the men's 800 um at, at uh Paris. Paris, we had 56 um, at Budapest. It's fallen down to 48 in Paris. And, you know, you look at the Australian team alone, there's only one spot left because Pete and Joe both have their timed qualifiers. So, um, or the auto standard rather. So, look, it's going to be tough. Um, We're going to have to find ways to raise the bar again. Um, But it's certainly, I feel, a reality for me. Um, And that's something that I've I've learned and reflected on, on making the... My first world's team this year is um, that, yeah, training towards a lofty goal like Paris Olympics isn't out of the question. Um, and, yeah, w- why the bloody hell not? There's quite a few boys knocking on that door for that for that kind of third spot, isn't there? There's, you know, Jack Lunn, obviously, Lockie Raper, Jai Parrott, a um, bunch of others, which I'm not going to list everyone, but, the, the you know, there's, there's some decent names that are all kind of around about that same point, right? And it's... Um, it's kind of mouthwatering, you know, get eight or nine of those guys in the national final. It's going to be pretty epic. It is. It is. There's a lot of hungry guys at the moment. And like I said, only one spot left. Um, we've got a really good crop of guys domestically. And and you got Charlie Hunter over in the States, who's a guy that could turn up on any given weekend and, and run that one 44.7 and, and solidify his spot there. So um, it is. it is going to be a very fun domestic uh campaign see how it all plays out um yeah lunny's coming off a pb he ran 145 high at that vienna race um that i was in as well got a good um good seat in that race (laughs) tucked in behind him watching him go ahead and and run a pb and yeah luke boys uh world uni rep this year so he's going to come out hungry um yeah ben liddy's guys out of sydney there are, are always consistently um a, a problem for all the other 800 guys they're they're hungry they're quick they they know how to train smart um yeah jamie harrison had a breakout year last year as well it's just um it's going to be a lot of fun uh, a lot of guys knocking on that door i think i think liddy runs a pretty tight ship hey 
He does. He does. He's, he's a good man, uh, a brilliant coach. Uh, I've got to give thanks to him as well. He was uh, over in Europe a little bit as well. And like I said, Des wasn't able to travel. So there's yeah, a couple of guys that um, sort of helped out probably more than they know um, throughout my European campaign. And Liddy's one of those. Uh, he was there a little bit early on. So just having blokes like that at meets when your coach isn't there, they help immensely. Um, and he's got a lot of talent in that squad, a lot of good guys, and he knows how to coach them well. So, um, yeah, a um, little bit nervous for how those guys are, are going to yeah. run next year for sure. I think if you you know the if you're an 800 runner and you want to live in Sydney, then Liddy Liddy is that man at the moment, isn't he? Just like kind of obviously Melbourne has Renati and and Canberra has Des, you know. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how each each major kind of centre at the moment has as that leading 800 coach. Uh, the, um, the Just quickly, I know that you've punched a bunch of weights um, over the years. I was reading some article how like you were just like massively huge uh, and then you had to shed it. Uh, are you still lifting or is it it's just a, just a little bit these days? Uh, look, just, just to um, yeah, stay injury free and support my running. Um, yeah, it's a long way from, from my past of, of yeah, um, that was kind of all, all I did for a couple of years there. I was just a, your typical gym goer. Um, but no, now it's top, all. Sorry, you must have been top heavy, top heavy as, hey, like just, man, you're just tiny. I was a, just massive, massive uh, upper body. Yeah, a little bit top heavy for sure. Even when I even when I came in and saw Des, uh, and even that first sort of year or two of running, uh, was not a pretty sight for me seeing getting around in the local B race in, in the uh, local summer series here in Canberra. It was not a pretty sight. Um, what was your so, like, 100 of all time? What did you do? It was like 210. I was running like 210 to my very, very first one. I ran 216. Um, and then I think I maybe got that down to 204 in, in my first year, but it was, it was not pretty. Um, and even worse, there's not a whole lot of people um, you know, athletics isn't massive in the ACT. So when I'm in the B race, it's well and truly me against 11, 12, 13 year old kids. So had to had to put the pride aside for a little bit and, and uh, think about the long term goals there. Um, oh, awesome. but yeah, thankfully the body's the body's coming around to understanding what I'm asking of it these days. Um, I, I still think I'm a little bit uh, on the top heavy side when you look at, look at the other guys um, getting around the track, um, probably still a touch heavy, but it seems to be working and and I just got to trust that the body's going to do and, and hold on to what it needs and what it wants and um, and um, it'll, it'll cooperate. Hey, it's been awesome chatting to you. Good luck for, you know, the massive, massive year ahead of you and, all the best with it. Hope you can build and have another breakthrough and get, you know, get sub 145. Appreciate that, mate. That's the goal. That's the target. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can get there. Cheers, mate. Awesome. Mate.